Well, this morning we're in Acts chapter 8, and just to remind you, or to inform you for the first time, we've been asking the question, what is the church? What is the church according to Scripture? And if honest, each of us would admit, we have our own internal, personal expectations of the church. We'd like for the church to look a certain way and to do certain things and uh, to keep up with our expectations. But I continue to encourage us to not think that way, but to look to the Scriptures and say, now what has God said that He intends to do through His church? What are His people supposed to focus on? What are their priorities? What is their character? What is their faith and their witness in the world? And this morning, the talk is about evangelism. That we are the means through which others learn about Jesus. And so I'll remind you before I read the passage that we were told in Acts chapter 1, the Lord said, I will give my people my Holy Spirit, and when He comes, you will have power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost ends of the earth. And the means by which that would happen is through the people of God. And you're going to see this morning, it is a beautiful passage, perhaps more beautiful than you've understood. My hope is to highlight some maybe unseen beauties, but it's Philip the evangelist and his ministry to the Ethiopian eunuch. So give your attention to the Word of God, and let's pray that He would bless us. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandaki, or Candace, however you wish to pronounce that, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot And he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you were reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? And so he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. This is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. 
And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Let's pray for God's blessing of His Word. Lord, we simply ask, would You intrude upon us with Your Word this morning, that we might bear Your witness to the world? And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So about... 30 years ago today, we're not far from 30 years precisely, I'd just gotten in my car and I was pulling out of a parking lot. I was leaving a retirement center in Clemson, South Carolina, and I came to a stop sign before leaving and getting out of the area, and I just had to put the car in park, and so I put the car in park. That's how we used to do it. It was here. And I got out of the car at the stop sign, and I knew if I stopped and put my car in park, then the car behind me wouldn't be able to get around me. And so I went to the driver's side window of the car behind me, and there in that car, these 30 years ago, was the sweetest, cutest little blonde girl I had just met her in the retirement center and we had had a bump into each other conversation that that probably lasted for 30 minutes. And she rolled down her window because that's how we used to do it, right? And I said, can I have your phone number? Because I had just met this girl named Marie and I realized there was something special about her And if I didn't get her number, I would likely never see her again. Now, I tell that story because I intruded into her life and into her space. I stopped her in the road at a stop sign. The biggest introvert in the world did something very bold and extroverted because I couldn't help but do it. I had to do it. There was this internal internal compelling You've got to do this. And I intruded upon her space and into her life. And 27 years uh, this week, we celebrate our anniversary. And it all began with some bold intrusion at the moment that it was needed. Now that's one story of being interrupted, of being intruded upon, that resulted in what I would call good a good thing, right? A marriage. Um, Happy anniversary, Marie, if you're here. I don't see you, but... Oh, she's here. She did come. Good. They're still coming to church here. Fantastic. (laughs) Um, Here's another story. Years ago, I had a student at Erskine College 
he would tell me this story later. He was in his dorm room, I think it was during the summer, and he had had to change rooms. And he was moving some things around, getting settled, and all of a sudden a roach, a cockroach, ran by him and into underneath the closet door. And his impulse was, I've got to kill that roach if I'm going to sleep in this room. And so he opened up that closet door and out of the closet fell a book. It was a Christian book. I don't know that it was that Christian of a book, but it was a Christian book. And he picked it up. I don't know what happened to the roach. But he picked it up and he began to read this book that somebody had put in the closet and shoved in there with too much stuff so that it fell upon him. And that book he would somehow take an interest in. And he would begin to read. And as it talked about the Christian faith, somehow in God's good providence, it drew him to want to know more. And he decided he would take up the Bible, a very Christian book. And he would begin to read and consider what he was hearing. He would begin talking to pastors. I was one of several that talked to him in his life. And through the course of weeks and months, this young man, who some of you know, who came to Erskine, he thought, to play golf, from Scotland to Erskine and due west to play golf, would be converted to faith in Christ. And I thought of that this week as I'm considering how God interrupts us, intrudes in His own way upon us for our good. For God so used a roach that he called someone to himself by interrupting them and getting their attention and dropping a book in their lap that would lead to other things in their life. You know, the truth is, the God of the Bible is always, when he is at work, he is interrupting us. Thankfully, he intrudes upon our space. He comes into the stories of our lives he does it through people. He does it through books. He does it through sermons. He can even do it through a roach. And this morning, I want you to see how he does it through a person, particularly Philip, the evangelist. And we will learn some beautiful traits of how God works and be reminded that he says he uses his people to do this very thing. The church, the people of God, we are made to be bold and powerful, even effective witnesses of Jesus to take the gospel into the world. That is what he has told us in Acts. Power will come upon you when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost ends of the earth. Which is to say, God is at work to grow His kingdom and to touch people of all different skin colors and nations, peoples of all the earth. And it all starts right here in Acts chapter 8. In verse 26, let me reread the beginning of that passage. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, 
that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, think about this for just a moment. Um, We didn't hear the passage just before this, but Philip has had a ministry. He's had an evangelistic ministry. He's been given power to do miraculous things, signs and wonders. He has had an effective ministry in a city of Samaria. So he's in the city with a lot of people, an effective ministry, and an angel of the Lord tells him to leave the populated place where you've been very successful and go to the road, the desert road, the one that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And that is to say, go where there is not going to be a lot of people. People didn't gather in the desert. And so God calls us to go. And sometimes it doesn't make sense. Not from our earthly perspective. Leave the city and go to the desert for the sake of the kingdom? For the sake of ministry? That's exactly what the angel of the Lord told Philip to do. And so we are called to go. We're just called to be obedient. To obediently go even when it doesn't seem to make sense to us or to other people around us. I'll give you a personal example. I was pastoring in Atlanta, Georgia, the greater Atlanta area, Smyrna to be precise, and I got a phone call 19, 20 years ago that said, well, you need to go to Due West. And I'm in the city with a lot of people And it was as if God was calling me to the desert. Due west, there's not a lot of people there. Jonathan Cook called from Omaha, Nebraska to due west. And like I had friends in my life, he probably has friends in his life that are saying, are you sure you're supposed to go to due west? It's a small little town. There's not much going on there. God calls his people to obey, even when from an earthly, worldly human instinct perspective, it may not make a lot of sense. But God calls us to do things, and we do them by faith. And so Philip, productive ministry in the city, uh, effective ministry, the angel of the Lord says, go to the desert. So he goes to the desert. Peter goes willingly. Peter goes selflessly. He could have stayed in the city and made a name for himself. And Philip goes faithfully willing to minister. Then as he's in the desert, the angel of the Lord is even more specific. He says, secondly, go near to that chariot. Actually, he says, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now, here's the truth. This is something maybe an example of something you've not considered When he says stay near the chariot, what that means is the chariot is moving. And Peter, excuse me, Philip, I may mess that up a couple of times. Philip sees the moving chariot and the angel of the Lord says, go to that chariot and stay near it. And so this morning I want you to picture Philip who's been called out of the city into the desert. That didn't make a lot of sense. And now he's told, go keep up with that chariot as it's moving. So literally what must have happened is this. Philip pulls up his tunic and he runs. First he runs to the chariot and then he's keeping up with it. 
and this is me pretending I have a tunic on and I'm lifting it and I'm running. And, and <laughs> I'm pretty fast, faster than I knew. So back to the story. So Philip is called to go keep up with the chariot. Now, I think I had a picture earlier, an etching, you don't have to do it, uh, an etching of this event. And the chariot was shown being pulled by horses. So the commentaries that I read this week indicated that, truthfully, it probably was oxen that was pulling. I, I don't know. But it'd be easier to keep up with oxen than it would with horses pulling a chariot. So that does make sense to me. But we're to obey the Lord when he calls us to the desert. And even when he calls us to keep up with a chariot running in the desert. Which I didn't think about that till I just said that. It's pretty hot in the desert. So go run in the desert and keep up with the chariot. I mean, these, this is kind of absurd sounding, but Philip is doing it. Because he is so convinced that the Lord has spoken and revealed to him to, to do this. And so however much it doesn't make sense and however awkward it may have seemed, Philip obeyed. He was faithful. He was willing. And so God calls us to be faithful and willing to do things. Callings that maybe don't make sense, maybe seem absurd and difficult to obey. So Philip is running alongside the chariot and he engages in conversation. He stays near to the chariot so that he can hear what is being said. Now, this is true. In the olden days, in ancient era, reading was done audibly. Some of you do this. Some of you read out loud, even if it's just you in the room, right? I, I do this. Uh, they read out loud. And so the eunuch is in his chariot reading aloud the scroll of Isaiah that must be rolled out in his lap. And Philip is running, keeping along the, alongside the chariot. He hears what is being read. And now he engages, however awkward it may have been, he engaged in conversation this Ethiopian eunuch. And he asks him, do you understand what you are reading? He intrudes in the personal space of the Ethiopian eunuch. Now he intrudes upon his reading and his thinking, and he asks a question. He asks a good question. Do you understand what you are reading? Now, a word about the eunuch that we might better understand who this is riding in this chariot. How do you stand in front of a room of people and talk about a eunuch? A eunuch was one in this situation who had been given the privilege of serving a royal family. And with a royal family as this one that he served, the priority was to protect the bloodline, the royal bloodline. And so if you were going to have male servants of that royal family, and if you were going to protect that bloodline, you had to pay a price to be close to that family 
and all of its members, particularly its female members. And the price that you would pay for drawing close to that family was your own ability to have children. And so men were castrated. Then they were allowed to be close to the family because they would not be a threat to the bloodline. There, I did it. I said it out loud. I found a way to say it, and I don't think anyone's more red than I am right now. But this is an important point. Because this man, humanly speaking, is very successful. He is essentially the CFO, the chief financial officer for this country, for these people, and for that royal family. He is a wealthy man. That's obvious from the fact that he owns his own scroll of Isaiah, which was not easily done. He is a religious man. He has gone to Jerusalem to worship. He must be a God-fearer, a Gentile who is a God-fearer. Messages and understanding stories of Yahweh and who He was have gone out, but there's not great clarity. And this man seems to be a God-fearing worshiper who's on the hunt for something more. Now what's true of the eunuch? is he has just made a costly journey. Commentators have said this is probably about a thousand mile journey. I don't know that that's true. I'm going to take their word for it. You think of that for a moment. A thousand mile journey in a chariot, including going through the desert. That's a steep price to pay. And as he's been traveling, he's reading the scroll from Isaiah. But when he reached Jerusalem for worship, do you know what would have happened? Deuteronomy chapter 23 verse 1 says, No one who has been emasculated, castrated, no one who is a eunuch, by crushing or cutting, may enter the assembly of God. You may know that the Old Testament law, the code, communicated through various ways that to enter the presence of the Lord required holiness. And one of the ways in which it demonstrated and modeled that holiness was a law such as this one. So that man had traveled a thousand miles by chariot as a God-fearing worshiper, seeking to know more, to come on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, And upon reaching the place of worship, he was told, no, 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 you you can be in the outer courts where the Gentiles may gather, but you cannot come in. You're in, but you're not really in. So I want you to think about the surely what must be the mentality of this Ethiopian eunuch. He's financially successful, but it cost him everything. He'll never have children. He'll never have grandchildren. He will be an especially lonely but successful man. But with that royal family, he was told, hey, you can be with us, but you're not really one of us. He felt what it is to be held at a distance. So he's in with the family, but he's not really in. Then he goes to Jerusalem and he's told, you're in, but you're not really in. 
And so as this man rides in the chariot, surely there's some sense of disappointment and defeat. And he's reading from Isaiah. And he's stumbled upon Isaiah chapter 53. We know this because of the words that are given to us in Acts. And he is reading about the beauty of one who is to come. And he is unsure what is happening in this passage. And it's at that precise moment that a man pulling up his tunic, running alongside his chariot, sent by the Lord, says, do you understand what you're reading? And his response is, no, I don't understand what I'm reading. How wonderful that you're here to help me understand. And so he invites Philip up into his chariot. Now let's stop there for a moment and just apply to ourselves what I think may be a helpful consideration. Remember that this ministry began with Philip's willingness to go, his obedience in going. But what started the personal ministry to the eunuch was the asking of a question, not the making of a statement. After 19 years of working with college students, I can tell you that it is the asking of questions, leading with questions, rather than leading with statements that gets a willing ear to listen and hear more. And maybe some of us would do well to consider that truth. Question marks, particularly in our culture, are more powerful than leading with exclamation points. Oh, we've got exclamation points coming, don't get me wrong. But beginning a context where we will be invited into the chariot for them to hear a little bit more, it just tends to begin with question marks more than exclamation points. So consider that, those of you who are seeking to to love family members, in-laws, neighbors, friends, people within your reach, Maybe we lead with question marks better than exclamation points in our own personal ministry. The exclamation marks will come, but leading with question marks might be more wise. And so we go, we draw near, and we ask questions. That's what Philip has done. Now, in asking the questions, I want you to think of it like this. Philip has learned that there is a key to understanding all of the scriptures. Philip has found that Jesus is the one who makes all the scriptures come together and make sense in him, in his person, and in his work. So if you'll flip the slide, Jesus is the key not only to unlocking the understanding of scripture, but to understanding all of life. That's what Philip has found to be true. Now, question, how did Philip find this to be true? How did Philip find out that Jesus was the key to understanding all of Scripture? Let me remind you what Jesus has done prior to his ascension. Do you remember? We emphasized it weeks ago. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, prior to giving the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, Jesus spent 40 days teaching the apostles about the kingdom of God. The apostles have heard from Jesus himself, just as they did on the the road to Emmaus, where Jesus taught 
beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus, for 40 days, taught the apostles through the scriptures how all the scriptures were about himself. Now those apostles have been teaching and preaching anyone who will listen, and surely Philip was one of them. Philip has heard for himself this profound teaching and preaching of who Jesus is, how he is the key to all of the scriptures. He understands that Isaiah, in talking about the suffering servant, is talking about Jesus. And so back to the scene where Philip is running alongside the chariot. He asks, do you understand? And the eunuch invites him up into the chariot. And now Philip preaches and teaches and fills in the blanks and says, oh yes, this is not about you. This passage is not about you. It's about one who has come. And his name is Jesus. And he was the suffering servant. He was the one who was led like a sheep to the slaughter. He was the one as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch hears these things, and that's not all that Philip said. It's obvious that Philip went into faith, and repentance, and even baptism. Because what we know is that chariot continued to move through the desert, and the eunuch finally interrupts and says, stop the chariot, literally, stop the chariot. Here's some water. Why should I not be baptized? Why would I? I believe everything that you've just said. I want to be associated with it. I want to be a follower of this Jesus. I want to be a disciple of him. So here's the water needed to baptize me. Baptize me. And it's a beautiful picture of ministry. It's an instantaneous conversion and profession of faith. Doesn't always work that way, but in this case, it did. And so the eunuch responds by faith. We can't help, Philip can't help, but to tell of this Christ. Once you have the key and the understanding of who He is, that He is the answer to all of life, you can't help but talk about it. You can't help but share it one way or another. And so Philip has told this eunuch of Jesus. He's told him of repentance of sin. And he's baptized him into the new life and the new community that is the church. And so let me stop there and say to you who are listening, could any part of you have been riding in the chariot for the last months or years, and only now you're considering, well, why have I not been baptized? Why have I not joined the church? I just want to to remind you, this church seeks to baptize people into the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This church wants you, if not on our membership, some membership of some faithful gospel-preaching church. Don't ride around in the chariot all by yourself in the desert 
living the Christian life as if that's how it's supposed to be lived. You're to be a part of a community, a family, and you're to have the confidence and assurance that you belong. And God has given us two things to give us that assurance and that confidence that we might feel and know that we belong. And one of those is baptism, and the other is the Lord's Supper. That you might know that you belong. That you might know you have a family, that you have a God who loves you and cares for you. So why not be baptized? Why not join the church and know that you belong by faith? Let me end with this. This is a beautiful wonder uh, revealed to me this week as I was studying in an airport. You know, I spent the week in St. Louis. I don't know if you know that. You do know that because we said it last week. I was at the PCA General Assembly. So my prep time for this was limited, and I found myself studying in the airport. And a couple of things happened. One, my eyes were opened to a truth. In Isaiah chapter 56, which is not quoted in this passage, but as Philip continued to ride home, excuse me, as, as the eunuch continued to ride home in his chariot, reading that roll, that scroll of Isaiah, he would eventually come to Isaiah 56. And that's the passage that served as our reflection this morning. So I want you to hear Isaiah 56 through the ears of that eunuch, the one who had paid everything to be a part of the royal family, to be near the royal family, but was told he could never really be in. The one who had been to the courtyard but couldn't get into the temple. In Isaiah 56, he would have read these words that were our reflection. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let not any eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree, meaning I bear no fruit. For this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial with a name better than sons and daughters. And I will give them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. Can you hear that through the ears of the eunuch who had always been shut out, always come up short of belonging to this family, been shut out of the walls of the temple, limited to the outer courts. Inwardly he knows I'll never have children, I'll never have a family, I'm a dry tree, my family dies with me. Philip comes alongside him in the chariot, preaches Jesus and good news and all that the kingdom offers. And now he would read these words later in Isaiah 56 and realize, this is the truth, this is what struck me. Never have children? Strangely, ironically, in God's kingdom, this Ethiopian eunuch is the father of all Christians outside of Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, as the gospel now goes with him back home to Africa, which is the region that he was from, and he shares what he has learned of Christ. Strangely, in the kingdom of God, the one who is a eunuch 
becomes the father of many who believe. And surely that's what Isaiah 56 is saying. He will make them fruitful. Don't say that you're a dry tree. You will bear much fruit, everlasting fruit, in the kingdom of God. Time doesn't allow, but I'll apply it to you briefly. What you have here is a fairer-skinned man, an Israelite, who had no hesitation obeying the Lord to run to the chariot of a very dark-skinned man from another nation, another people group, and without hesitation offering him the Jesus that had changed his own life and saying, you too are a part of the same family. There is so much beauty and wonder in this passage. I've done no justice to it. Consider it this week on your own. Take up and read. Read these stories of conversion, of change. We're going to have several in a row. But it all begins with this. The eunuch who was a dry tree found to be that he was a fruitful tree in Christ. May the same be true of every one of us. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise for the truth of the gospel and for the hope that there is another way to think about life, to think about ministry than this world has suggested to us. Lord, would you work in us if we've considered ourselves to not be as blessed as others? Lord, would you open our eyes to see the beauty and the wonder that even a eunuch can become a father of nations of believers. And Lord, would you give us that boldness, that willingness to intrude with questions and answers from your word into the lives of the people you put around us. Give us eyes to see that they might know what we have come to know and what we partake of by faith. We ask this and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.